Welcome, Travelers Blueprint community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the very true-hearted Elliot Shibley. Thank you, Bob. So before we get into the episode, I would like to make a point that if you are listening to this episode on iTunes or Spotify, check out our our Instagram and our Facebook because we post all of our guests' pictures. And if you're listening to the Travel Bites, then it will have articles that we've researched and provided in the episode. Um, also, we do have a brand new YouTube page. And by brand new, I mean it's like two or three months old by now. But please subscribe to that. Please subscribe to our current podcasting platform wherever you listen to it and the last thing that i'm getting into which is the website so we've updated the website quite a bit over the last few months and now includes uh consulting services that you can work with bob on planning your next trip we have a travel around table series that we've been working with other travelers to discuss pertinent travel topics We have uh, a book and workbook coming soon, which is currently in production. We have a travel cheat sheet, which if you subscribe to our newsletter, you will get a free one. And it's five pages of short, pertinent information to help you plan your next trip. And lastly, we have our very own Philadelphia tour guide, Keschler, which is yet to be released is currently listed on our website and if you would like to book a trip with him just go to our website click on one of the two tours that he offers and you can enjoy a trip to philadelphia yeah the beautiful city of philadelphia our hometown so getting into our next guest this this guy put a very unique spin on what it means to travel he has been involved in journalism since 2010, and he's gone to countries ranging from Iran to Russia, Kyrgyzstan, China, Belarus, and focuses on areas of conflict, gun smuggling, drug smuggling, and as a result, encountered landmines, the Taliban, and and I guess multiple- Russian mafia in China? Oh yeah, just, it it, it was just so unique and and interesting. Uh, you know, and I'm not going to give you more than that. I hope you enjoy the episode. Without further introduction, please give it up for our next guest, Michael Hilliard. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Michael, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks, having. So, so you are a geopolitical writer. You are the host yep. of your own podcast, the Redline Podcast. Yep. Uh, but interestingly, we we were connected through a Facebook comment uh, on like mm. a podcasting group uh, where people were just commenting on on travel podcasts and travel topics. And I came across your comment and was immediately interested in in what you had to say. And you did not disappoint with your the following correspondence. We ended up talking in Facebook Messenger for a little bit before you came mm. on the show. And you gave me a ton of different topics that we could discuss (laughs) that I have so many questions on and and I'm really looking forward to asking you about. From drinking with the Taliban in Uzbekistan. Yeah, that was was a fun night. Well, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, you've had had, uh, a gun put on you by the Russian mafia in Beijing. You almost skied into a minefield in Georgia. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, yep. <laughs> there's just to name a few. Goes, the, the, yeah, the list is is pretty extensive. Stuck in Chernobyl, artillery artillery shelled in 
Kyrgyzstan. Did I pronounce that right? Kyrgyzstan. It's, it's a very old little country in the middle of, uh, in the middle of Central I, Asia. You know, I, I didn't know where. I mean, I had an idea just from the Sten where it was located, but I ended up Googling <laughs> it. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. So so we have a lot to talk about. Uh, I guess we should just jump right into it, though, right? Elliot, do you have anything? Yeah. Oh, well, I do. Before we get into those fascinating things, can you tell us what it means to be a ge geopolitical writer? So what it means is, is most of my stuff is ghostwriting. So I get paid by a politician or someone, someone else to write, you know, they'll want a paper saying, you know, here's the British response to an invasion of Moldova. And I have someone like me write that paper uh, and then they'll pretend that they're smart and they wrote it if they're going for a job or something. And, and, okay, you know, so you make, you make other people look smart. <laughs> that's pretty much the job yeah all right all right well hopefully you'll make bob and i look smart it's gonna be <laughs> yeah, tough to do, do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's a really interesting career how did you get into that it's a super weird kind of i uh was just traveling around sort of russia and a few of these odd, odd countries and then kind of met guys who i was always interested in geopolitics and then kind of met guys who were doing this and they were like look you know your stuff do you want to do some some ghost writing stuff with me uh, and it just kind of branched from there. It's mostly from dudes I met in bars and, and we got chatting and I got into this field by just kind of generally having an idea of what's going on. So you actually were into travel and had been traveling before you even got into geopolitical writing. And so that transition wasn't hard. It actually helped. No, no I was traveling war zones far before I did this. Um, I was at a rule that, you know, the, uh, the cheaper the you know, the worse the war zone, the cheaper the vodka is going to be. So that's always a good option to get you through things. All right. What, what made you want to go to a war zone? Um, well, generally it was, it was kind of this really weird, you know, I, I grew up in a military household and got told Russia was the enemy and the Soviets and the communists. And then I got, you know, had a, a big night with a friend of mine and we booked this one-way ticket to Moscow. And I woke up in the morning went, well, we bought it, let's go. Um, and we went to Moscow. Uh, and I kind of had my world kind of shocked that Moscow was really nice and people were friendly and it was nothing like I, I'd read in the books. And then I was like, well, I wonder what other countries are going to be like that. And then it kind of led to going into Iran and Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan and Mongolia. Um, and it kind of spread from there of going, you know, let's actually go there and see how crazy this country is. Uh, and generally, most countries are pretty fine once you get there. So your interest in in understanding what a country was, aside from the way that your country, you're from Australia, made those mm. countries or reported on those countries, wrote about those countries. You wanted to see it for yourself and that's how you got started in traveling? Pretty much. I wanted to see how, you know, you hear all these shows like, like Kazakhstan, you're like, oh, it's going to be a Borat, you know, a Borat country and you get <laughs> yeah. there and it's like actually lovely and the people are really friendly and you go, ah, That's okay, a really cool. interesting <laughs> reason to start traveling. I, I, that's <laughs> the first time I've heard that. Well, I mean, think about how many people can't disassociate the government from the people of the country. Hmm. You know, well, I mean, even even the United States, for example, there's a lot of, I don't know, hatred and um, sour feelings towards the United States based on our politics. But obviously, if you travel through the country, you have a different experience than what you see at the top of the, you know, at the top of our government. So, and that goes for every country throughout the world. And a lot of these countries do have bad reputations. Um, Iran, I know is a good example. Pakistan, I know is a good example of this because especially being an American, all the news you get is just about the war and terrorism. And 
oil and things like that. But then you, you mm. talk to people who have actually traveled to those countries and spoke with the people and sat down and ate with them. And they will tell you a completely different story and kind of open up the idea of what it is to actually live in that country rather than only pay attention to what's on the news. So that's, that's really cool, man. Yeah, that's, Iran is a very classic example of that. You know, when I, I kind of told, you know, because I'm doing some of the state government as well on foreign policy stuff. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'm going to run. They're like, oh, it's dangerous. You know, be careful. It's going to be the worst. I got there and the most lovely people you've ever met. The food's amazing. People, a lot of people speak English. People are generally friendly. Um, I, they felt very welcome the moment I got there. Uh, and it was just this kind of weird juxtaposition of everyone thought I was going to die. But the closest I came to death is overeating all the great food that was there. And people keep saying, no, 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 another, another course, another course, another course, you're fine. <laughs> right. Well, that's great to hear. And I'm yeah. glad, I'm glad you, you said that and, and put it out there for our, our listeners as well. Yeah. One of the things that I think is really interesting, though, is I've never really thought that Australia really pushed that Russia was the enemy. I guess I know Australia has a lot of similar mentalities as the USA because we are allies, but I never thought outside of our own country that Russia was the evil empire as it was shown to us. Yeah. Australia is diet. We are the Texas of the British empire. We are diet America <laughs> at this point um, to the point where Australians follow us politics and us trends. So carefully, you know, you can ask an Australian who the deputy prime minister is and no one knows you ask an Australian who, and, but they'll tell you all 16 democratic nominees and what they're going for and what's going on in America. And, you know, it's insane. We follow your news and your goings on far closer than we follow our own. It's yeah. Really yeah. It's bad. I think a lot of foreigners understand us politics better than I, I won't say a majority of Americans, but an unsettling number. You know, I thought about this before though. Is it because they're genuinely interested or is it because we have our fingers in so many different yeah. <laughs> areas around the world that they have no choice, but to pay attention. I think it's a combination of the fact we watch a lot of your TV and most of the shows we watch are American shows. Um, but also the fact that what you guys do, if you guys sneeze, we catch a cold. Um, what America does is going to end up in Australia pretty quickly. Uh, so we kind of just all follow you guys because we can shake our fists all we want, but we're Australia. Like, you know, <laughs> ooh, Fiji's going to be scared. You know, no one cares. <laughs> Interesting. All right. All right. Let's, let's get into this. Um, I, I already, Elliot and I talked it over and we, we really want to just dive into the Taliban. So you drank with the Taliban in Uzbekistan. Now, going back to what we just mentioned with the United States and Australia being close allies, the Australian also has deployed uh, troops to the Middle East to combat the Taliban. So how did they take you in and, and how did you come to have drinks with them? So it was a very weird story. So we, there's not a lot of places to stay in Uzbekistan. They just, they've literally just opened the border uh, to the point where, because they had this dictator named Karimov, Karimov died and they've just started opening up the border to the point where when I left the country, they had to get a supervisor to figure out what to do with Australians because they've never met one. Um, so we ended up going there, but there's only a few hotels and a few places to stay if you're staying in, in Tashkent, which is the capital. Uh, and there was this, you know, this, guy and his sort of middle-aged guy and his assistant staying in the same hotel and the guy would stop you talking to his boss his assistant was very kind of keep working my boss but they were taking lots of phone calls from odd numbers mostly afghanistan numbers and they were probably from afghanistan because it's quite pashtun and i was like okay there's a lot of things that didn't add up i was like okay, I'm, I'm curious now i'm really i'm gonna see what i can do here um so i told his his uh his like 
assistant because his assistant smokes. And I went outside and had a smoke. And I was like, oh, you know, what are you doing in, in Tashkent? He's like, oh, you're talking in between girls and bars and stuff. And he's like, oh, I know a great little bar. You know, it's great. You can have a great time. Take your boss there. You can have a great time. What I knew from a friend of mine is that bar only lets you in if you speak Russian. Um, so they went to the bar and I left about 10 minutes after them. And they obviously got bounced from the bar because they don't speak Russian, but I, I do speak passable Russian. So I came in and was like, hey, you know, uh, I was going to get letting because I speak Russian. Oh, these two. Yeah, they're, they're my friends. That's Bill and Dave. You know, let them in. Uh, and they, obviously I got him into the bar and the assistant was very thankful because obviously he was pissed off his boss because you know, he uh, wasn't going to get let in on this club that he recommended. And I said, oh, well, you can make it up to me, have a drink. And then I just started you know, having a few drinks and he didn't hold me drink that well. And I was like, oh, what are you doing in here? He's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a film student. I'm like, oh, cool. I used to shoot commercials for a living. You know, what's your favorite camera? He goes, oh, I don't know cameras. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and then I, you know, next question is like, oh, so what sort of commercials would you shoot? Um, mostly business ones. And I'm like, oh, cool. I used to do that. That's really cool. What sort? Like, oh, I don't know business stuff. And then he questioning, 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 and then sort of got a few more drinks in him because obviously, the, you know, to buy a bottle of vodka over the bar in Tashkent is about the equivalent of $2.50 US. Um, just oh, wow. buy the whole bottle over the bar. So we just, you know, just 10 the US. You know, take, take a couple of things. Wow. Um, and after a few drinks, he's, you know, after asking me his story and his childhood, eventually he's like, look, I'm running guns for the Taliban, you know, running surface to missiles and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, <laughs> I looked at my airline, I was like, called it, could pick it. Um, and we just started talking about logistics of the Taliban and how they're getting stuff across the border. And um, yeah, he was really nice. Um, and we just kind of chatted about the logistics of it. And he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll come to Australia. We'll hang out again. I was like, ah, oh, no, man. You know, um, yeah. So it was this super weird night of, and he just, yeah, he just couldn't hold his drink quite as well. And it just cracked in the end. He's like, look, you know what you're doing? Because I was kind of like, yeah, no, you know, it's weird that kind of missile stuff. He's like, yeah, okay, you got me. I'm, I'm shifting surface to me. So I was like, ah, I called it. Cool, we'll do the next round. For, um, the Taliban needs to uh, to vet their personnel a little bit better. They need to get them drunk. Oh, this God, dude yes. just started uh, <laughs> slipping after a few drinks. Well, yeah, do they, could, do they yeah. typically not drink? That's the thing. A lot of these senior guys do not drink if they're, it's really, if you get senior, senior, they don't drink at all. If you get mid-level guys, so the guys who are commanders, they will not drink in Afghanistan or Pakistan, but they will drink in Uzbekistan uh. um, because that's the only time they, they get away with it. So a lot of them will come have their weekends to party in Tashkent because it's, it's very close, to, not too far from Afghanistan border, or they'll go into rural Uzbekistan, have a lot of drinks, and then they'll duck back in and go back to being a, a very proper Muslim after that. But yes, because they don't drink very much and I'm unfortunately a very bad influence guy. Oh, don't worry. I'm just going to pour another one. So good to it. Um, <laughs> you know, I was far too polite and I think that's the death of him. That's funny. So <laughs> did you get into the war or anything like that? Yeah, a little bit. I didn't want to get too far into it because obviously there's a lot of things he wasn't going to tell me. Um, yeah. But generally it was, he was just effectively buying up uh, Russian arms or buying up uh, other countries' arms and shipping them into Afghanistan. Pretty much anyone who hates the US was just using him as a middleman to get some stuff in. Okay. Did you guys speak in English or Russian? He speaks very broken English um, and a bit of Russian as well. So the majority of the conversation, we kind of like, he would speak in Russian and I would kind of go to Russian. And if he didn't understand, we'd both try English. And it was kind of this mishmash of like, 
you know, we would, yeah, it just, whatever, like, if he couldn't figure out what that word was in Russian, he'd try English. And then I might like, oh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, but yeah, it was bouncing between three languages because his assistants spoke some English uh, and some Russian as well. So it was kind of the three of us, you know, bouncing around uh, languages until one of us could figure out what the other one was, was trying to push out. Was there any, was there ever a point where you were just were sitting at the bar and you were like, I should get out of here? <laughs> I've had a few bars like that. Uh, where I've had to run, I've had, I've, you know, um, my girlfriend and myself have a signal that for bars, I'd get too hairy. We're, so yeah, someone's about to get shot. We need to get out of here. Um, but generally, no, that was, he was, you know, he's not going to shoot me in a bar uh, in Uzbekistan. He was polite. He was buying, he was taking drinks. Uh, most of these guys, if they're not on the front line, are pretty reasonable. Okay. Could you tell if there was any animosity towards like Western culture or if it was just a guy trying to find a job to do? It's mostly the job thing. Um, there was a little bit there. Obviously, you know, all of them have friends or family who have been attacked in the war. Um, but generally, his thing was he's just, I'm just a gun runner. Like, yeah, you know, it was um, him selling guns. Was, you could afford far more for his family than could just, you know, buy uh, farming in, in, in his province. Hmm. That's really interesting. Have you ever thought about in your line of work focusing on the individuals like that, like focusing on the the general public and how they're dealing with the war, rather than how governments and the the military are dealing with it? Get into well, I guess he is part of their military, so to speak, but <clears throat> more in line with understanding how just general the general public over there is figuring out how to create a normal way of life. Well, it's, it's so many, so many different stories. I mean, you can go to someone in Kabul and they'll live a very normal life. You know, Kabul is uh, very similar to you know how a Western city is. But you go down to Helmut or, or uh, Uruzgan, and it's you know every man for himself out there. Uh, hmm. It really just depends on on where you are in the country. And there's some people are making oodles of money off it, and some people are scratching livings off rocks. It's you know really just depends on where you are. That's interesting. It is. Well, speaking of Russian, how, how did you end up with a gun pointed at your head in China by the Russian so this, mafia? So uh, this whole interview is going to make you sound like a terrible alcoholic. Um, but I was uh, in Beijing doing a story uh, and we went out for a night in, in partying around and we were walking down the street and we'd all had a bit of drink. Uh, and I ended up bumping into this, this guy by accident sort of this short Russian guy, two big guys, and he's, he's you know, a couple of girls with him. Like and a Joe Pesci Russian? Kind of, yeah. Like, you know, the standards like, it's still not able to stress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, and he said, he's Venetia, which is Russian for him. I'm sorry. I went, I explored him in Russian. He was like, what, you got some Russian? And we got chatting, and we were just chatting about Beijing. And he's like, look, I'm going to a party. You should come to this party with me. I was like, okay, sure. I'll come to the party. Not really thinking anything of it at the time. Um, then we went to this, this exclusive club and he walked straight past the line. I went, that's weird, but it's fine. And then he walked straight past the security, um, checkpoints where they, you know, get you for metal and stuff. I was like, that's weird, but I don't think anything, I think it's fine. And he goes into this booth and there's all these big Russian guys and some Ukrainians in there. And he goes, that's weird, but I'm sure it's going to be fine. And then, we, you know, there's bottles of vodka everywhere and we get chatting and immediately they start talking about moving products and drugs and I'm like, Ah, oh, okay, cool. I get where I am now. Uh, but that's that's weird, but it's probably going to be fine. <laughs> I was like, but that's the thing. I looked at the buddy of mine who was with me and I went, if we bail now, they're going to think we're cops or we're going to think we're, you know, not supposed to be here. Play it cool. 
will get out of this eventually. Uh, and what Russian mobsters love to do if they, if they want to test you as fresh meat is they'll pull a gun uh, on you and see how you react. If you freak out, then they'll mess with you the rest of the night and you know, they'll assume that you're either not supposed to be there or that you'll tell, you know, you'll tell the cops on them or something. Before you, you before you tell your reaction, did you know this prior or did you learn this while you were in Russia? I learned this while I was in Russia. Okay. Um, from, right. from another Russian, from a bunch of Ukrainian sailors I was hanging out with in Moscow. Um, no, Petersburg, sorry. It was Petersburg, was that? Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of knew what was going to happen. I was like, okay, he put the gun at me. I'm like, man, what are you doing? I'm just here to have a drink. Put it away. I don't want to cause any trouble. He was like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, yeah seriously. You don't need a dick measure here, buddy. So he puts his gun away and we had a few drinks and I quietly, quietly saw myself in my bed. <laughs> <laughs> <Dude>. um, <laughs> now, did you stay in the bar? Yes, I, I stayed. Well, they were, the drinks were free. Um, so I stayed there till about five, six in the morning. And then I wandered back, uh, wandered back through Tiananmen Square uh, to find my, find my apartment again. Um, but yeah, the level of guy, again, most of these guys are fairly lovely uh, when they're not committing horrifying crimes. Right, right. Well, it, it seems as though, yeah, as long as you don't catch them on the other end of their business, hmm. you know, or the well, opposing end of their business, uh, they'll leave you alone. Pretty much. As long as they know that you're not going to muscle in on their territory, you're not going to call the cops, you're going to drink with them drink for drink. And that's what really gets you is because they will pour shot after shot after shot. And you just have to keep going, yeah, okay. Cool, another no. one. <laughs> do, you, do you ever worry about blacking out and then being in a situation that you can't control and the, the things that you say are out of your control, your actions are really no longer in your control, and you're around Russian mobsters? I'm usually pretty good at holding, holding, hold, <laughs> I'm usually pretty good holding the drink. Um, but yeah, if it gets too, too big, there's always signals you give to, you know, like, if I'm traveling hairy zones with people, I tend to, sort of, we all have special signals. Like, look, if I do this, we need to like, I'll go to the toilet, you go to the toilet and we'll escape out the back door and we'll right. maybe speak of this again. Right, um, right, right. But generally, most, most of these guys are very polite. Um, yeah, particularly this, you know, if you're not causing them trouble, they don't want to cause you trouble. Well, right. if I ever run into the Russian mafia and I end up having a few drinks with them, <laughs> I know what not to do when a gun is pulled. Exactly. You know, this is, you, you yeah. should get tattooed on your, tattooed on your arm. <laughs> there you go. It happens all the time, you know? It does. I mean, um, I think that is extremely valuable travel knowledge for the everyday traveler. Exactly. You know, <laughs> I, I, I pack my passport, I pack, you know, my, my traveler's checks, and then I pack a... Uh, you know, don't get shot by the Russian mafia. That's yeah. my big three. That's my big three. And if are you either... plan for that, where depends? <laughs> <laughs> are, are either of you familiar with the comedian uh, Burt Kreischer? No. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I, I saw his piece and I'm like, I fully get it. That yeah. makes complete sense to me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> fill me in. Fill me in. He's a comedian. Um, I've actually seen him live. I've actually, his Netflix special, I was there during the recording, but he's a, wow. he's, has this bit on, meeting the Russian mafia and essentially robbing a train with them while he mm. was studying abroad for college. And it's just, it's so funny. And uh, you, you just check it out. It's Burt Kreischer, the machine story yeah. is what it is. The machine. And the machine. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's so, it's really funny. All right. Yeah. Russians are, Russians are always ballistically nuts. Russia is the only country I've ever seen a one-armed woman while smoking assemble and fire a collagen cough with one arm. Uh, it was, <laughs> 
part that, that will stick with me. Sometimes when I go to sleep, my eyes close and I still see that woman staring at me with the smoke going. Now, what do you think it is about Russia that makes them so tough? Is it the cold? Is it the radiation from the Chernobyl accident? Is it just all of the vodka? What is it that makes these people it's, just like a different breed? It's a weird combo. It's cold. Everyone, like, no one smiles. It's all, um, it's very go, go, go all the time. Uh, like, the sort of the best way to sum up Russia, when I was first in Mo first time I went to Moscow, I, I was meeting with some locals and I oh, Moscow's really beautiful, it's really lovely, but I haven't seen any homeless people. Where are your homeless people? Because uh, it's no problem, uh, or freeze to death. Uh, we deal with letter, uh, it's no problem. That's, that's funny. Yeah. And that's why San Francisco has tons <laughs> of homeless. Yeah. Well, I, I mm. think there is a testament to the, the cold weather making you mm. a tougher human or a tougher individual. Even looking at the United States, you have the Northeast, which has New York and Philadelphia and Boston, some of the, you know, quote unquote, toughest cities or the, the hardest cities to get by in um, compared mm. to some of the softer areas yeah. in the I'd South. I'd put Chicago in that list too. For sure, for sure. Chicago yeah. is a very cold city in the wintertime. So well, I just got back. I, I just got back from the Arctic. Uh, That's cold. Two months ago. Yeah. yeah, that was really cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, I ended up uh, doing a, a, a story up in Murmansk, which is kind of right up in the Arctic Circle for Russia. You know, my, I, I want to see the Northern Lights as well. And it was like, well, to go see the Northern Lights in Norway is like 2,500 US a week, a minimum. Uh, but to go see it in Russia is like 400 bucks a week maximum because uh, it's rural Russia. But you have to deal with the fact that everyone is... You know, you get there, like I Google when sunrise is, it's like sunrise is in two and a half weeks. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, um, like even, even like you meet Siberians and they're like, my God, my friend is very cool. Like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. They all have, they have a pretty good sense of humor about it, but they all carry hip flasks. Um, you know, they, they don't allow you to buy bottles of liquor until 10 a.m. And at 10 a.m. there's lots of guys buying bottles of liquor. Um, like the Russians just what they used to have this vodka is everywhere now, but it was Stolichnaya. But in Russia, they just because they could never think anyone wouldn't do that. The 700 ml bottles had a pot cap, not a lid, a pot cap, because they never thought that anyone wouldn't finish the entire bottle in one sitting. Um, but that gives you an idea of what, what you're up against up there. What is it with vodka wow. and the Russians? Why do they love vodka so much? Potatoes. Is, that, yeah. is it just the. Um, well, it's two things. It's very cheap to make. Um, there's, it's, it's a, there's a big historical reason. It was the vodka license given to the Russian oligarchs back in, back in the 1800s. Uh, it allowed to corner the market effectively. But vodka, it doesn't freeze. You can mix it with anything. Uh, it kind of, you know, it, it really bad vodka. Like you go down to sort of Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, that kind of area, and the vodka gets real rough. Nail polish. Uh, it's, oh, it, it's, it's like drinking razor blades. But, you know, it, at the, after three of them, you don't feel your legs anyway, so who cares? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's cheap to make. Like you can effectively, like in Kazakhstan, you can buy like a bottle of vodka for two bucks, uh, two bucks Australian, which would be a dollar thirty American. Wow. About that. Um, mm. Yeah, like it's just, it's super cheap and you can mix it with everything. Um, yeah, I guess you can't really carry around beer because beer would freeze. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can just swig it and it keeps you warm, um, particularly in the Arctic. All those guys, they're just kind of, you know, have a shot with every meal. So make that's sure how they're surviving. <laughs> that's how they're yeah. playing the cold winters is just being 
drunk. You're just just having vodka in just your like, blood yeah. at all Constant times. Constant vodka right. jacket. Right. <laughs> you can't freeze to death if 90% of your blood is actually vodka. And so I think is, there's science that. Is that is solid, <laughs> solid <laughs> logic. <laughs> um, yeah, but generally they're all, you know, not all of them drink vodka all the time. A lot of them drink, particularly uh, poor Russians, they drink a lot of beer. Like even your Burger Kings and those kind of places will all sell this what's called Baltica beer, which is it tastes like a, a duck's urine, but sure. Um, <laughs> all right, I have yeah. to ask, how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> um, from my no, from people explaining it to me. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, even, even, it fits your profile. Class, <laughs> even middle class Russians like I wouldn't drink that spill. It's disgusting. Um, <laughs> But yeah, generally the, the Russians are pretty up for just about anything. Um, but vodka is usually the, the meal drink. Okay. And, and was this this story of you going to the Arctic, is this where you almost froze to death? Yes. So when you get out of the airport in Murmansk, um, there's, it's a tiny airport because they only do like two flights a day and it's in the middle of rural Russia. Uh, and I was like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. I was get an Uber. Oh, I, I, what Russia has a Uber, which is called Yandex. Uh, but my phone just stopped working and there's no cabs. And we're about 45 minutes from the nearest town because uh, the airport's in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, we're, it's negative 30 outside. And I go, oh, okay, cool. So I ended up having to like run around just trying to like find someone who I could speak any English or Russian with and found some guy who I just like talked with like, look, I'm going to freeze to death out of here. You need to give me a hand to get home. Um, otherwise I also caught the blizzard once in, in Moscow. I ended up getting in this cab after a big night uh, and saying, Oh, take me to this place. And my, my, when I'm sober, my Russians, you know, it's like, when I, when I drink my Australian, my filthy Australian accent comes out and say, Yalu blue pajalista adin vodka, um, and obviously my like it just goes out the window, um, and I got dropped. You know the guy pulled up. He's like, "Here is your, your hotel's here." I was like, yep, thanks, man. Here's some assorted money, and I, I got out. And it was blizzarding down, and like, oh, this isn't my hotel at all. And I could I didn't have any maps or anything because my phone was dead. So I ended up just having to climb this spiral staircase, and all I could see is red square, like six k's that direction, and I went. I kind of know where my hotel is from Red Square. So I ended up walking through this blizzard for like four or five Ks through the bad neighborhoods of Moscow, um, pretty much freezing to death. By the end of that trip I got home, I didn't have any feeling in my hands or fingers. Wow. And I think had I not, had I not been plastered on vodka, I, I don't think I would have made that. Long. Wow. So Here we go. Murmansk. It, is it Murmansk? They say Murmansk, which is okay. weird. It's sort of weird, like Russians roll their eyes quite a lot. Bermansk, and that's in the northwest, like right next to Norway? Yeah. So it's kind of right in Norway, Finland. Um, like, oh, yeah. You know, it, it, I didn't realize yeah, Finland kind of right around in that, there. Right in that corner. Um, but it's, it's where the Russians base their nuclear Arctic fleets from. Uh, it's also where they launch most of their missiles from. So wow. going back to what you said about um, seeing the northern lights, one, did you see them? Two, I mean, you said it was much cheaper, and it, I know it, seems obvious why it's much cheaper to go there. They don't have the infrastructure for tourism. Would you recommend anybody actually takes a trip to Russia and then goes up towards the Arctic Circle to actually see the Northern Lights or would you stick with Norway? No, I highly recommend it. Russia Russia's a lovely place. Uh, people are genuinely friendly, particularly if you're from an area they don't see a lot of people. 
Um, like, you know, most bars I'll go into in like rural Russia or Uzbekistan or stuff, you know, I'll say I'm Australian, they'll go, kangaroos, and they'll get like, free drinks <laughs> for the rest of the night. Um, you know, the people there are generally lovely. Uh, there's, you know, there's obviously bad people in a lot of towns and you know, you've got to watch you back occasionally. You know, always have a plan. Don't be carrying lots of cash on you. Um, just generally be nice to people and, yeah, learn a bit of Russian because none of the cab drivers will speak English. Um, but generally, people, it's it's quite nice out there. Uh, there's decent infrastructure. Just make sure you have, uh, you know, a guy, someone, at least a cab uh, ready to go from the airport or uh, make sure your Yandex works first. Um, but, yeah, generally, I'd recommend it. It's, it's pretty good. Obviously, it depends on what your standards are. I mean, I'm pretty, I don't really mind where I stay, whereas... You know, the hotels I stayed in in Murmansk weren't particularly nice. Um, but, you know, I'm sure Norway would be nicer. But then again, it wasn't two and a half grand a week. So I can't really right. complain. <laughs> right. All right. So moving, I guess, west slash south, uh, can you talk about Georgia and your ski trip? So there's this... Uh, Georgia is, this, is a bit of a weird country. It's beautiful, lovely. If I've already had this talk with my girlfriend that we'll probably end up retiring in Georgia. Um, but they have this amazing ski resorts up in the mountains. It's right in the Caucasus, which is the biggest mountains in Europe, if you count Georgia too. Um, but there's a, a country. So Georgia has these two kind of, imagine if two states broke away from the United States. Like imagine if uh, Texas and, and Louisiana became two different states that, don't have anything to do with the US. That's kind of Georgia. We've got these two, okay. South Ossetia and Abkhazia. Uh, and we get, went into South Ossetia skiing um, and we went sort of, I'm, I'd never been skiing before. I was like, how hard could it be? Um, but the guy, you know, looking at my poor girlfriend, he goes, uh, is over there uh, landmines, do not go. Over there, kill the gays Russia, do not go. Over here, not too bad, but probably be careful. Um, and I actually, I mean, not learning how to ski, actually I'm a ski into the goddamn minefield because I am not very clever at it. Um, yeah. It's not that easy. No, I, no. I figured that out very quickly. Um, yeah, I actually bowled over an entire Russian family. Um, oh, nice. Wait, what what was the one side? So it was the minefield on one side, but what was on the other side? So, and kill the gays Russia. As kill the it. gays Russia. <laughs> Uh, it's a particularly heavy bit of Russia. And he's like, he was, and he looked at me when he said, he's like, I'm killed the gays of Russia. I was like, I'm not gay, but sure. Okay. That's my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> like the only time, she was great. She skied really well. And the only time she fell over is when I tried to take a corner and just couldn't get the corner and just went straight into this wall of snow and got stuck like this and had to wait for her to pull me out. And she fell over because she was laughing so hard at me falling into this pile of snow. Oh, uh, so wait, where God, where was this again? This is in South Ossetia. Um, so a breakaway, unrecognized republic uh, in between Georgia and, and uh, Russia. Can you imagine South just going South. down the slope of the mountain and in the distance you just see explosions <laughs> going off like, oh, another one fell off. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hell of a learning curve. Um, what about yourselves? Do you, you guys travel a lot or where do you, where do you usually travel to? What's your favorite country destination? Uh, so we're slightly more touristy than you. <laughs> the <laughs> bar I, is pretty low. Slightly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, we just went to Peru. Um, I, mm. I guess it was a year ago now. Yep. That was the last place I went. Um, 
But yeah, I, I travel with my wife a lot just to Europe and things like that. I've been all over the United States. Yeah, we, we try to do the more touristy stuff with the families. And then one of our other friends and Bob and I will try to do like a guy's trip every two years. That's a little more off the beaten path. Still not yeah. crazy, but you know, because families and living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, so where, what's your favorite place? Where's, where's the favorite place you've been? Uh, Croatia, I think for me. Croatia's mm. nice. Yeah. I have a very fond place in my heart for Bonn, Germany. I, I ended mm. up spending, I've said, said this so many times on the podcast, but I did a study abroad there for four months and fell in love with the city. Germany's just loving the whole way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just came back from Berlin because uh, it was a cheap yeah. place to fly to. Uh, and then a few contacts there. But yeah, Berlin was lovely. Berlin's always lovely. Germany's always lovely. Frankfurt's great. Um, they do this uh, Glühwein, this hot wine with rum in it. Oh, um, yes. If you, if you make the mistake at 9 a.m. and ask for a strong Glühwein. <laughs> yeah, it's strong. Yeah, German strong. Again, no. I feel like I'm coming across as an alcoholic in this interview now. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, do you travel for pleasure as well? Do you go to, you know, have you ever been to the Coliseum or anything? <laughs> or is that too boring? Um, I, I haven't been, to, no, I haven't been to the Coliseum. Um, but yeah, the usually if I, have, if, uh, I have been to the Eiffel Tower. Um, I did my, do my touristy things. Uh, yeah, I've traveled a bit for, for pleasure, um, but I, I usually just enjoy the war zones anyway. Uh, they're far more interesting. The people you meet are far more interesting. You know, if you go to a bar in, in, uh, in you know, rural Kazakhstan, you're only going to meet locals, drug dealers, you know, arms dealers, government operatives, or journalists, effectively. Um, so everyone you meet at the bar is like super interesting dudes who want super interesting stories. Um, you know, so yeah, you always have a pretty good night hanging with those guys. Well, that's a good segue because <clears throat> I know your podcast, the Redline Podcast, you interview people under that realm, right? I know when I was looking on your website, CIA operatives and professors and things like that. Do you want to, do you mind getting into your podcast and what it is you do? Yeah. So what we do at the red line is we do one big subject every two weeks. So whether it be like the Libyan civil war or, you know, uh, you know, South Sudan or, you know, Transnistria, we do these big subjects and we do a big deep dive. So we're like an hour piece on it and we get the biggest experts, you know, we get people from the white house, the CIA, MI6, uh, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, uh, you know, all the guys who are actually making the decisions. Um, you know, like I just got an email before I came on that, we're doing a piece on North Korea because of what's going on. Uh, and we've got the Americans head intelligence uh, CIA expert on North Korea coming on the show to talk about what's going on in there. Um, wow. So it's pretty much, you know, like guys who work with the president, like uh, a couple of episodes ago, I had a guy who was like, oh, can we push back the interview two hours? He's like, yeah, why? What's up? He's like, oh, I need to go to the White House, um, but I should be helicoptered back by this time. I'll see you then. So that's a pretty good excuse. Yeah, you go do that. You go yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> you go, you can see the president. And I'll deal with you later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, obviously, it's it's all these super interesting people who are you know the smartest of the smart people. So it's pretty much me being an idiot talking to very smart people. That's, oh, that's... I, see, I thought in the beginning we established that you were the one that make people look smart. <laughs> yes, but I got they see. There's levels. There's like paying <laughs> oh, me to be okay. smart. There's me, and then there's actual really really smart people. <laughs> You mentioned Transnistria. What is that? So Transnistria is this breakaway Soviet Republic uh, between Moldova and Ukraine. 
So effectively, it's, it still believes it's the Soviet Union. It still refers to itself as like the Transnistrian Soviet Socialist Republic. Um, there's still hammers and sickles everywhere. There's still statues of Lenin everywhere. And the whole country is a giant arms dump for the Russians. So when Russia was making its big plans to invade the West, they dumped all of their guns and nukes and everything else in Transnistria. So they, that's where they would hold it high law. But now that the war's kind of over, there's all this, you know, just this giant arms dump of a country um, with hammers and sickles everywhere that is so Soviet, it, it was almost terrifying. I think the best way to sum it up is I asked a, a local, I was like, oh, all the tables, all the table plants are made of plastic. Why is that? He goes, uh, it's because you can't get the microphones wet. Um, like it's full KGB. Um, wow. Like they sent an intel officer to follow me the whole time I was there. Um, it, yeah, it's a pretty nuts, nuts little place. Great cognac. They have this amazing cognac factory there. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very odd place. It was, that's when I started to leave very quickly. This is, this is a really interesting conversation because you're just confirming everything that I've learned in all of the James Bond movies <laughs> I've watched about Russia. It's, it's such an interesting country. Now, I think it, it, I'm attracting a lot of attention. I shouldn't be obviously, you know, hanging out with, you know, working for governments and stuff and doing geopolitics writing. I'm going to attract attention. For most people, you'll never have to bother with any Russian right. KGB or any of this kind of stuff. I think I'm a bit of a special case that, you know, it's, yeah, I'm attracting more attention than I should. Yeah, well, you're seeking it out, right? I mean, that's why, yeah. that's why you're going there. And you, I'm sure you know how to get into those situations. You know, if I'm traveling through Moscow with my wife, I don't think I'll end up in no, you'd be quite fine. the same situation. You're right, yeah. And that's my understanding <laughs> of Russia too, is that it is a beautiful place to visit, um, especially Moscow, St. Petersburg. Mm. I'd like to go there one day. I believe it's hard to get into with. It depends. Uh, so you can get into, you can get into in American passport. It's a little bit harder. Um, so you can get in via Petersburg and you can spend three days in Petersburg with a very weird kind of easy visa. But if you go through, you know, Moscow or you go through one of the other cities, you go to a full visa process and it's like a 20 page visa application with everywhere you've been in the last 12 months and, if your father was in the military and all these questions and what and whatnot, um, so yeah, that that's obviously uh, that's not not great, but it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then when I had to get my last visa and I once got to uh, Severomorsk and Murmansk up in the Arctic, which is right where all the nukes and the submarines are, yeah, that visa was a little bit hairier than than I wanted it to be. I do want to jump back to the Redline podcast, but before I do that, let's stick with Transnistria. And I want to... Elliot found a new country that he loves. <laughs> I do. But I also want to hear about your experience being smuggled out of Transnistria. So we, we, we got to Transnistria and I, I did this story and I met this guy there and I, I went to for years, but he's very senior in the government there. Uh, he's like, you should come, it'd be fine. And I was like, look, we're in Europe anyway, let's just duck to Moldova and we'll go into Transistor and see what it's about. So we got a, a Mashruka, which is like kind of a minibus across the border. And they took all our details and, and the passport scans and, and let us go in the country. I'm like, yeah, it's easy enough. Got to our hotel and it was this, uh, you know, run down little apartment. Uh, and the guy's like, oh, we've got a whole place to sell. If we haven't sent a tourist in two months, don't worry about it, it's all yours. I'm like, sweet, thanks, have a good one. About two hours later, uh, I got an email from him saying, oh, we've just had a random guy book a room. You know, he's going to be staying with you guys. I was like, okay, that's suspicious, but sure. Whatever. It's 
And then I meet the guy and he's built exactly like a little intelligence officer, you know, a good stocky build, wears athletic clothing all the time, a bit of a chip on his shoulder. I was like, I have a suspicion, but sure, let's play it out. And I was like, oh, where are you from? He's like, I'm from Magadan. I was like, Magadan is way over near Vladivostok. It's in the middle of nowhere. And no one from Magadan speaks English. It is in the middle of nowhere. So very weird that you speak some English from Magadan. Whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll let that go. And then we went out for coffee and stuff, came back and we found that he'd been through the whole apartment. So he's obviously looking through our stuff uh, and taking apart the toilets and everything. I was like, okay, he's looking for something. So he's probably an Intel officer. And then I was like, oh, let's go for drinks. You know, let's get on the front foot about this and invite him out for drinks. And he's, he's only, what, five, five, I'd imagine, five, six. Um, so we, I plastered him and his story fell apart. He wasn't from Magadan. He was actually from Yakutsk. Uh, you know, his mum's name changed because um, obviously you ask a lot of questions beforehand and you see if it matches with what he says when he's drunk. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, I get, yeah, I get the feeling he's an intel officer. And then we lost him the next day. I kind of said, oh, we're just going downstairs for a, for a cigarette. And then we quickly jumped in a cab uh, and organized. And we ducked off the other side of the uh, other side of the city and then left that and escaped. Uh, and then met with my contacts and met with a few interesting people over there. Uh, and then I was said to my government guys, like, hey, like, what's the deal with this intel officer in my apartment? He goes, I don't know anything about that. I'm like, yeah, there's a guy in my apartment. He's been doing this. He goes, oh, okay, that's a different department. Look. It means you're about to be arrested. Uh, look, we'll have you out of prison in a week. I was like, man, I really don't want to go to prison. I, I really do not want to go to a transnistry in prison. He's like, oh, well, okay. Um, we'll have to get you out of the country. If he's doing that, it means you're probably going to get arrested in the morning. Uh, I'd say, you know, you're either going to get done at the border or you're going to get done in the morning. I was like, okay, cool. So I had to quietly tell my girlfriend, I was like, look, I think we should just, you know, maybe just head off head off soon, you know, we just get it back to Moldova. Um, so he organized this, this guy he knew in who drove this SUVs who smuggle people out of the country. Um, usually just guns. Like he has a sort of, it's a special car with a special pass that doesn't get your license checked, no passport checks, no nothing. You know, it's a don't look in the back kind of deal. Um, so we got in this SUV and we told the KGB guy, we're like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to Odessa in Ukraine. We're going to the Eastern border. Because um, it's not far between, so Tarazopol's here, and there's kind of the Moldovan border here and the Ukrainian border here. And he went, he obviously went, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Go to Ukraine. He'd call, probably so he'd call his guy and go, yeah, they're going to be the Odessa border very soon. And then we ducked the opposite way, so headed west rather than east. Uh, and the car pulls up to the, the checkpoint, all the guys with guns, and our special little driver shows his little pass, and they look at him and go, and quickly handed back his driving license and, and put down up the boom. And we left quickly with no passport checks and no exit visas. Um, wow. And I escaped back into Moldova. Uh, I think I'm the first person ever to say, thank God we're back in Moldova. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I breathed a very big sigh of relief when I got back to back into Kishinev. Whoa. That's, that's intense, man. That's it was a bit intense. I really wasn't. And the worst bit is because it's an unrecognized republic. So no country apart from no, no, no one recognizes it. Um, I got told when I told the foreign office that I was going over to Transnistria, they're like, yeah, no, we're not coming for you. If you get caught in Russia, we can talk with the Russians and get you out. But if you get caught there, like there's no diplomatic immunity. Like you've got to, you're going to have to negotiate with Moscow to get a flight out. Uh, and Moscow is going to hold that above you for a while. Um, so yeah, that was a bit hairy. I kind of had this in my back of my mind going, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. 
Um, <laughs> we got out. I live to tell the tale, and it's a hell of a bar story. So you know, it works well. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> so it seems like a lot of the the people that you seek out or the situations you try to put yourself into are with the the players behind the scenes. You're not necessarily going to the front lines of these wars, are you? Or is or are you more no. seeking the people who are passing information and funds and things like that and kind of are working in the background? They know far more. The guys on the front line are usually, you know, they're 19 years old and right. they just needed a job and they're just holding a rifle and they'll know, they'll very much know the schedule when the artillery goes off, but they won't know much more than that. Uh, it's right. the logistics guys, it's the bank guys, it's the economic guys who will actually know what's going on with the war. Um, and then the officers occasionally know some stuff, but generally it's the logistics guys who, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to find out where a general is, but it's very easy to find out where his car is being shipped to the catchment drift. Hmm. Very interesting. Going back to now that we've satisfied my <laughs> <laughs> smuggling story question. So the Redline podcast, you have it available. You've been doing it for how long? Not long, uh, October was our first, October 7 was our first episode and we just crossed the uh, 150,000 streams uh, as of like four or five days ago, whatever it was. Nice, um, congratulations, so yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a long way to go, um, but so far it's been really great. Um, it's been cool to get invited and speak on other shows and, uh, and talk, but generally it's just chatting with some very smart people and, and sort of get, you know, all of the times and interview over for 45 minutes and then 15 minutes after the interview, it's like, okay, this is all off the record. Is he actually dead or is he alive? It's like, oh, yeah, he's been dead for six months. <laughs> just can't tell anyone. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of very interesting people who, who uh, you know, can give you a heads up on stuff. Nice. And so that's just available to listen to pretty much everywhere, I assume. Yeah, you know, Spotify, Apple, you know, Google, all the usual podcast places, uh, just under the red line. Okay. And do you have a website associated with it? Yeah, uh, www.theredlinepodcast.com, which is, okay. sounds very original. <laughs> okay. Also, uh, share. Do you <clears throat> do you post the Facebook and Instagram? And if you do, yeah, you yeah, share yeah I, I share it at the Redline Pod for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we really need to be, be doing more of that, but right now it's just so busy uh, doing guest spots and, and generally just uh, interviewing guests. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into each episode. Obviously, it's finding the right episode for guests and researching and making sure we know the stuff, um, getting the maps together, you know, editing the show, um, making sure everything works. So, yeah, there's a lot of it's, you know, it's why it's a fortnightly show because there's just so much work that goes into each episode. And they have like an hour and 20 minutes long with three to four guests for each one. And they're all the biggest experts and trying to get their timing right. You know, these guys who are working in and out the White House have like, I'm free for 40 minutes on the 12th of December at 4 a.m. your time. I'm like, okay, I'll see you yeah. at 4 a.m. my time. Wow. Now, how many people are you doing this with? Uh, there's just myself, another producer. Um, but generally, it's mostly all me. The producer kind of just does a bit of the back and legal stuff. Um, but generally, most of the show, I edit, and, uh, edit and write and research the show myself. Um, yeah, it's pretty much mostly all me. Wow. It, and it sounds really, really interesting. I have not had yeah. a chance to listen to it yet, but I most certainly will. Yeah, it's a, it's a very odd podcast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's effectively, the whole idea is it's, it's meant to be the sort of an hour, you know, a block that you can go in with very little knowledge of what's going on in the situation. You can walk out with a pretty detailed geopolitical knowledge, you know, 
why Russia's involved, why China's involved, what's going to happen next. Um, you, know, you can sound very smart at a dinner party after, after, chat, after listening to an episode about a subject. I always have enjoy done, that. Have you done any on the United <laughs> States? Uh, I tend to stay away from the United States. Smart, um, smart man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's just it's. Yeah, I just I, I don't want to say I already get already enough crazy hate mail. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Um, but yeah, no, the states the states is where the majority of our listeners are. Um, I even know that people from NORAD because I had one of the NORAD commanders who's the the United States uh, nuclear missile command. Effectively, mm-hmm. the guys who push the big red button. Uh, yeah, one of they also track Santa. Yes. <laughs> 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 one of their one of their senior one of their senior like kind of top ten commanders was yeah, sent me an email being like, well you know you're pretty right on the hypersonic missile program but here's what's actually going. I was like, oh, okay, thanks for listening. Um, wow. Yeah, so it, it's it's a really odd bunch of people who are listening to the show. I know a few senators from Australia listen. Um, yeah, it's just this weird combination of of you know like very boring cardigan people and important people who listen to the show. It's very odd. <laughs> I love that description. Well, it's, it's a really interesting topic, and I think people generally have a fascination. Like the general public has a huge fascination for understanding the intricacies of what's going on with government, especially when governments clash. And so it's a yeah. it's a really cool topic. I mean, it's something that that I'm very interested in. I know Elliot is too, and so yeah, yeah it's really cool. Well, that's the thing. But, if you can if you can pick the moves, you can pick what's going to happen in a few months. Like you know, people don't think about Libya much, but whoever controls you know is running the show when the Libyan civil war ends will decide European politics for the next six to eight months because they'll control all of the migration flows. They'll control a huge part of the Mediterranean Sea and all the oil, uh, oil distribution through North Africa. It's these little things that no one thinks about. Like no one thinks about Kyrgyzstan, but Kyrgyzstan is the crossroads, the side of the Silk Road project works in, in Central, um, Central Asia and whether Russia maintains the hold on the Caspian all decided in this tiny little republic no one's really thought about. And that's kind yeah. of the point of the show is these tiny little things no one thinks about is actually where the linchpins of everything we think about is. And not only that, I think mainstream media, if, if they do talk about it, it's only for a small segment. And mm. I don't think, I think people are interested in the subjects like this, topics like this, because, and especially in your format, because mm. a lot of people have a slight mistrust of mainstream media at least over the last few years. Yeah, so definitely. finding finding something that feels true and real is really gratifying. Right. Well, the other thing is, is because it's a deep dive show, we didn't know it was going to work, but we kind of did these hour-long episodes thinking, no, it's going to sit an hour. And funnily enough, people kept listening. Um, you know, it's little things like you hear a news story, like, and, you know, Russia just moved, you know, uh, just, you know, the, this company has left Venezuela. It's like, that's a quick news story. You don't really think about it, but when you actually look into it, the geopolitical ramifications that are huge, but you've got to take an hour to really like explain the history, how we got here, you know, what that means and what that means coming up next. But it does take you know, an hour with three of the world's best experts to explain what that actually means. Cause a lot of times little stories actually have huge ramifications on the board. Have you done an episode on Russia, Syria, the Kurds, and the United States in that region, in that, that so, Turkey border region? We are doing an episode coming up on that. Um, okay. It's obviously, it's a weirdly fluid situation over there. Uh, we did do a big piece on the PMCs or private military companies, um, which that was very heavily centered in Syria. Um, but we're doing kind of a few things around Turkey um, because we're going to do a piece on Turkey when it gets a little closer to some of the elections that got coming up. Um, because obviously, you know, 
we'll do a piece. If we do a piece in, let's say, April, there's going to be big moves coming up in, you know, August that we know are going to be big moves coming up in August. It's going to be better to put it closer to there so we right. can kind of time it when or, or when things are starting to heat up again. Because, right, right. You know, yeah. Yeah, kick it up. Yeah. Really cool, man. That is, yeah. that is really, yeah. really fascinating. So Bob and I have this new segment that we're going to try to test out on you first. Go ahead. <laughs> so these are rapid fire questions. So we're going to ask them, we'll alternate, and you need to just say whatever comes to your mind first. We're going to try to go through them Love. as quick as possible. And there are, I don't know if I said this, there are 20. Shoot. All right, Bob, you want to start? Sure. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Uh, airports. All right. What home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? My own toilet. Um, it's just nice having your own toilet when you come back. And my own shower. That's the other yeah. one. I'm sick of terrible, terrible showers in these godforsaken places. Agreed. Do you prefer to travel solo or with a partner? With a partner. Someone has to listen to me ramble. And, and you know, it's much easier to get through if you, if you have one other person with you. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Ooh, I'm gonna say nacho cheese. Just, just like, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be is that a liquid? That's it's a liquid. We'll let it pass. Yeah. It's an amorphous solid. <laughs> Otherwise, Cuba Libres. I'll go with that. <laughs> oh, nice. All right. Pick any two animals that you want to see fight. Ooh, two animals I want to see fight. I think a giraffe and. I'm going to say a giraffe and a cas- an, an emu. A giraffe and an emu. I think two long necks doing this <laughs> yeah. would be just hilarious to watch for some reason. All right. Would you rather drink wine or coffee for the rest of your life? Wine. Uh, coffee doesn't take away the sadness much. Okay. <laughs> say hello in your favorite language. Appreciate. Is that Transnistrian? Yes, Russian. Um, it's such a direct language. It doesn't have this weird nonsense English has with all its right. uh, syntaxes and whatnot. Would you rather be stuck on a cruise ship or stuck in the Amazon jungle? Amazon. A cruise ship seemed absolutely terrifying to me. Agreed. Um, yeah. yeah. If you could I, travel I, with I, anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be? Ooh. I'm living or dead. Theodore Roosevelt. I think it'd be really interesting. That's a good Teddy one. Roosevelt. That's a good one. Teddy Roosevelt. That guy, that guy seems like a party animal wherever he goes, and I, he seems to get himself in a lot of trouble. So, and you'd fine. be stuck in the Amazon with him. <laughs> <laughs> Which do you prefer, the beach or the mountains? Mountains. Uh, I, if you can't tell my pasty white complexion, I only go vanilla and strawberry with my tan. Um, <laughs> I do not tan well. There's um, no. There, there's no chocolate. There's no Neapolitan. No, my parents are Canadians, so I'm, I'm white or very, very burnt. Who would win in a fight, a wombat or a sloth? Oh, I know this. Wombats actually kill people quite oh. often. Oh, um, okay. Didn't okay. Really, um, yeah, what they do is they're like running in little burrows, and as you stick your head in, and tourists do all the time, they stick their head in, and the wombat. Uh, Cause your face off. Yeah. They're, they're, plus, they kill the heaps of people in traffic accidents. If you uh. hit a wombat with your car, you actually bend the car around the wombat. They're just bricks. Wow. Um, they're just bricks with eyes, effectively. Some wombat knowledge right now. Yeah. This is, you know, that's, that's what the podcast is. We just talk about wombats for two yeah. hours. <laughs> Spaghetti and meatballs or pad thai? 
I'm going to say pad thai, but uh, you know, there's nothing better than like that 3 a.m. spaghetti and meatballs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is one item remaining on your bucket list? Ooh, I haven't fired a rocket launcher yet, and I've always wanted to do that. I could see you I got, doing that. I got a really RPG. Cool, I got a right, uh, RPG. They're much more fun. Um, I got <laughs> real close. I found one who a guy could get me one, but I had to leave the country that that the day he was going to come in. But yeah, I got real close to doing it in Ukraine. Um, but yeah, that's been on my bucket list for a while. It sounds like it might happen though. Yeah, I think I so. definitely will. I'll make yeah. it. <laughs> who is your biggest celebrity crush? Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Uh, so, yeah, um, uh, Emma Stones are always pretty cute. I'll, I'll give all Emma right, Stone. All right. I'm on board with that as well. A window or aisle seat? I, aisle. Uh, I can get up. I have more arm room. I can work on my laptop. Um, and I've had far too many people fall asleep on me. Um, mm. but now I've given up. I sit on the aisle now. What is your favorite travel item? Mm. Passport's a big one. Um, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, packs of Australian cigarettes. Uh, I'm not a smoke, big smoker myself, but because particularly in the old Soviet countries, cigarettes are terrible. They're like burnt laundrings. Um, you can trade two, two decent Australian cigarettes for free drinks for the entire night. So when I leave Australia, oh, I buy you know, five or six packs of cigarettes, always have something in my coat. Um, wow. But yeah, it gets you out of trouble, makes That's good genius. friends. Uh, yeah. And you can trade them for just about anything. You that know, is genius. I, you can trade it for, I, I trade a couple of cigarettes to get, uh, do a, a, a practice run with the Latvian bobsledding team in Latvia. Like you can trade cigarettes for anything. Wow. So you're definitely going to be trading cigarettes to fire that RPG. <laughs> it's going to cost you a lot of cigarettes. But yeah. <laughs> if, you were, if you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? Tbilisi. Or it would be either be Moscow because there's just so much to do or Tbilisi, Georgia is really really beautiful and the food's amazing although i would weigh 100 kilos uh, extra by the end of the week it's just really fattening <laughs> food if you owned a yacht if you owned a yacht what would you name it terrible financial decisions <laughs> <laughs> all right um, and, and- okay yacht uh, a problem <laughs> I, I like the first one i like the first one right. yeah. last question who is your favorite travelers blueprint podcast host Ooh. Man, this is a tough one. Oh, you know you're breaking up you're bre- i can't i can't, I can't <laughs> hear you all right all right we'll we'll, we'll leave it off on there <laughs> no thanks so much for having me it's been absolutely great hanging with you guys and uh love to hear some of your travel stories as well yeah, yeah. Yes. We'll, we'll reconnect, I'm sure. And uh, stay in touch. Let us know when you want to come back on. And uh, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Anytime. Always, always have it have a chat. So, like I mentioned in the intro, this was one of the most unique travel stories we've had to date. Series and, of travel stories. Correct. Like, they just never ended. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. Personally, I don't know if I could ever get comfortable drinking with the Taliban. I'm pretty sure I would feel uneasy sitting next to someone involved in that group especially as an american i don't know yeah. but but as, as an australian they're not they, they were right by our side through most yeah, of the, they were. the conflict yeah so yeah yeah i don't know how i would handle a situation if i got invited to a club in china and then had a gun pointed at me by the russian mafia i know now that i shouldn't flinch at all but i can't tell you what my bowels would do
Right. Well, that's that's always one of those things that that they say, you know, you don't know until you're in that situation. You can't even say how you'd react. No. You can try to think how you'd react. You can be hopeful, but until you're in that situation. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. I think Michael's been pretty well ironed for a situation like that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But what an incredible conversation. His podcast, the Redline podcast, I saw just hit about 500,000 downloads. Yeah. So he really, and it wasn't just on our podcast. He has an incredibly unique niche and it's a, it's a good podcast. I would I highly yeah. recommend checking it out. If you're looking for a deep dive at this time and you want to learn more about geopolitical things going on, like really really in-depth stuff and behind the scenes with people that are were or are involved right so don't forget to give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening on follow us on social media reach out to us via email or instagram or facebook and tune in next week